Oh, when, I, when I began working on my talk, I was sitting in my office, <laughs> which now you can see because I've taken the curtains down, so if it's a mess, <laughs> now you can all see it. Yeah, I was sitting there and I was kind of like um, looking at it and kind of trying to, trying to imagine what it would be like. But usually when, um, I when I prepare a message, I can, I'm just like, you know, you can imagine what it's like. So eventually I got used to preparing a message and would imagine looking at the screen and, and before that, I'd, I'd, when I prepare a message, I kind of remembered what we were, you know, what we were like when we were sitting over on that you know, in that corner and, and facing it this way. And then today, it was really difficult because I didn't know, uh, you know, got the different layout, but also I didn't know who would come along. I thought it could be, could be five of us, ten of us, or it could be more. I had no idea. And so it's like this, um, it all kind of feels new, right? Yeah. It was hard to imagine. And, um, and even though many of us, uh, I think probably all of us actually, have been in this space before, there's a sense, well, I feel... And hopefully you feel too that, that there's a, something new, something's different. There's a reset, a reset happening. Um, and we're still in it. Like it hasn't just, I think, don't think it's just happened over the last two and a half months. Like now things are different. Okay, now we know. But, it's, but I think it's an ongoing, uh, ongoing thing as, as God reveals it. And for the last few weeks, last few Sundays, I've been talking about these words that, that, I, that I feel have significance um, for us. In this, in this moment, in this season. These re-words. Re-center, like re-centering, making sure that Jesus is at the center in our hearts. Uh, Realignment. Um, I guess like that train, that train imagery there is quite helpful, isn't it? Making sure that we are actually sitting on, uh, sitting on the tracks that God has, has for us. That, we're, that we do things... Um, that are in line with, with him and the things that he teaches us in the, in the big black book. Last week I talked about recreate, you know, uh, Pentecost Sunday, and it was like this, this birth of the church, the creation of something brand new, and I feel like in this season there's a, there's a sense of recreating. And, and today the word is... Revival! Revival! And it's such a loaded word. And I, ah, oh, it's a strange thing. I had these words lined up, and, and I didn't want to use revival, and I was going to use something else, to be honest. I thought I'd use renew, which is actually really similar. It's actually really similar, but I keep on going, no, I have to use this word revival, and it's so loaded in, in, in many churches. Like, I say that word revival, and it, and it carries all kinds of associations and expectations of, what's, of, of what it is. You know, if you've, grown up, if you've grown up in a church like I have, then as soon as someone starts um, preaching about revival, then things get a bit heated in different ways. <laughs> and yet, <laughs> I can tell that some of you know, know what I mean. Yeah, I feel like this word is really significant, significant for now, uh, for this morning. And this morning I'll try to share at least, at least a bit of a glimpse of why that is. So last Sunday, Pentecost Sunday, and we remember this, this most incredible day 2,000 years ago where there was uh, 120 um, followers of Jesus gathered in an upstairs room. They weren't under level 2, so because if it was level 2, then you'd only be allowed 100, but there was 120 <laughs> waiting, waiting for this promise uh, that Jesus had, had talked about, the, the Holy Spirit that he didn't promise, um, can't imagine what they were thinking, what they thought it would look like. 
He made this promise. Uh, it was 40 days after his, uh, after his crucifixion or resurrection. Uh, 40 days after his resurrection. Then he made this promise. And, then, and at the same time, he ascended into heaven in the cloud. And then they had to wait 10 days. Was it, was it long days? Was it short days? I don't know. 10 days. And so uh, today I want to go back into that passage again. You know, it's quite funny. Um, there's a lot of miracles in the Bible. And this, one's actually, this one is a miracle, I think, because in Jerusalem, the, you know, the dominant, uh, there, there were a couple of really dominant cultures, right? There, were, there was uh, the Jews and, and their ways of doing, uh, they were doing things, and there was the Roman culture. And then within that, you had this group of 120 people. And somehow, what happened 2,000 years ago to that 120 people means that 2,000 years later, we... Uh, we're here. Isn't that a miracle? Isn't that crazy? That 120 people could actually change the history of the world? Yeah. Something must have happened. Something incredible must have happened, and it did. It says in Acts 2, so I'm reading from Acts 2, 1 to 4. I don't have it on the screen, um, but you might have a Bible here, if you're a Christian. No. <laughs> no. No. no pressure. No. No pressure. <laughs> Well, you can use your app on your phone. But that will mean you've got to get a Facebook, so I don't know. It's a bit of a tension. No Facebook. <laughs> Is there a Bible on Facebook? <laughs> Sorry. King Jesus. I've been online, eh? Hey? <laughs> James has been online. X2, wonderful. X2. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. They were all together in one place. And then suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them, and they rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Incredible way. Like, what a story. What a story. And it's really hard to imagine what it, what it looked like in that upper room. Like, it talks about the sound of the... Rushing wind, and last week I talked about the southerly, you know, the sound of a southerly roaring through Wellington, and, and then there's this fire which, uh, which separates and lands on all of the, all of the heads, 120 people. Like, look, you can look around, we're not 120 because that would be illegal, but um, <laughs> you look around, imagine that, like tongues of fire resting on each of our heads, and then, but, it, but that's just part of it, right? And we, we might read this and, and we kind of go, oh, that's some pretty crazy phenomena. And then we just move on, right? Oh, wind, fire. And we just kind of move on. But for the Jewish people, this would have brought back, brought back really powerful memories, strong memories uh, of, of other things uh, from generations earlier. So Pentecost, you might already know this, it's a, it's a Jewish festival. It's something that they celebrate every year. Um, it was a festival, a feast that happened 50 days after Passover. Pentecost, uh, 50, 50 days after Passover. And it was tied to a harvest. So... Um, uh, it, was, it, was, it was celebrating the end of the barley harvest, and it was celebrating the beginning of the wheat harvest. Mm. But, but it's even more than that. The first Pentecost was way, way, way back when these 12 tribes uh, became a nation, at the birth of a nation of Israel. These people, these 12 tribes, they were descendants of, uh, of free-ranging, uh, nomadic desert dwellers, Abraham... Isaac and Jacob. And then 
you know, what a what a crazy thing. So these descendants of uh, of these of these of these of these families that just used to roam across the de desert, then they ended up in Egypt, and they ended up being enslaved, and they weren't able to roam any roam anymore. And so they became slaves, and and um, and they were slaves in Egypt for hundreds of years. These free-ranging people now they they can't go anywhere. They're slaves, and then God intervened incredibly, incredibly, like in intervened. Uh, and set them free from oppression, salvation. And God led them, personally led them out into, into the desert, uh, into this land, in between Egypt and, and the land that, was, that he promised to them, this land that was to become uh, the nation of Israel. And on this journey, God led them to Mount Sinai, where they arrived at the mountain 40 days after they set out from Egypt, um, and there God met with them. Moses, their leader, went up Mount Sinai, and the Lord God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, the most holy being, Yahweh, spoke to him and called to him from out of the mountain. And this is, this is what happened. So this is reading from Acts 19. 19 verses 16 to 20. On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him in thunder. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. Must have been trembling in his boots, though. I mean, imagine that, like a mountain that's covered in fire and smoke and the sound of trumpets, and, and God's going, come on up, Moses. Let's go. <laughs> okay. And according to tradition, Moses spent several days up on the mountain. And the Lord gave him instructions for, for this new nation that was being born. You know, they'd been slaved, they'd been slave in slavery in Egypt for hundreds of years, and now God was taking these people and, 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 and building them into a nation, and they needed to have uh, instructions. And so he gave them instructions. These laws and yearly rhythms, including Pentecost, festivals, and uh, ways of life that this new nation needed. And it was all tied together under, under, a, under a, a really unique kind of relationship, a covenant, covenantal relationship. This amazing relationship with Yahweh, the Lord God, creator of the universe. I mean, if you want to have a relationship with anybody, you want to have a relationship with God. And he gave them that. So when Moses returned to the people from the mountain, it was 50 days after they... After, um, after Passover, 50 days after they'd uh, been liberated from Egypt. That's pretty cool, eh? Pentecost comes 50 days after the Passover. Passover time was when Jesus died and, and was resurrected. 40 days after the Passover, Jesus ascended in a cloud to heaven, which sounds kind of similar to Moses ascending, ascending the mountain in the cloud to meet with God. 
Ten days later, 120 disciples. So ten days after Jesus ascended, you've got these 120 disciples, uh, including the 12 apostles. There's all these numbers, eh? That's fantastic. 12 apostles, all together in a room in Jerusalem, praying and waiting. Like the 12 tribes of Israel, waiting at the foot of Mount Sinai. What's Moses going to come and tell us? And then the Lord descends on them, the Holy Spirit. And there was this massive sound. So on, on Mount Sinai, the sound was of all these trumpets going full tilt. And then and, um, in the upper room in Wellington, it sounded like a southerly. <laughs> Tongues of fire separating and resting on each of them. Jewish minds would have remembered the Lord descending on Mount Sinai in fire. And the massive sound. Uh, at Mount Sinai, only Moses drew near to God. Only Moses was the one that they heard from God. The rest of the people, they were too afraid. They said, don't let the Lord speak to us. And can you blame them? Like, seriously. <laughs> Trumpets going full tilt, the fire, the, the smoke. It's, and the ground was trembling. No way. They didn't want God to speak to them because they thought they'd be destroyed. They thought they'd be killed. The powerful, purifying presence of God, it was, it was too much for them. Now Moses, though, he was a different case because he had encountered God before, you know, when he when he uh, encountered God at the burning bush, when the, the bush that was burning but didn't burn, you know? Mm. So somehow he, he had a bit of boldness. Anyway, at Pentecost, the fire of God fell on the 120 people, and um, thank goodness they weren't, they weren't destroyed. The fire of God rested on them, baptized them, permanently transforming them. What did I talk about last week? Pickle, pickling them. Turning them from cucumbers, which we all know are pretty average vegetables, and then <laughs> into something that actually tastes good. A gherkin. Both good. <laughs> Both yeah. hands. Right? Yeah. And, the, and the first thing that these guys do, I know I talked about last week, but I just got to go there again. The first thing that these men and women do is they begin speaking in other languages as the Spirit of God gave them words to say. The first thing that God wanted them to do was to speak in different languages. And so this is. Uh, speaking different languages to other people, I mean, it wasn't just to impress friends. So Acts 2, 5-11, it goes, Now they were living in, now they were dwelling in Jerusalem, uh, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at, the, and at this sound, so there was this crazy sound, the, the rushing wind, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak uh, in, in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, and not... All those who are speaking Galileans, which is a bit rude, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, that was rude. <laughs> are not all of those who are speaking Galileans? How is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and, and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of Libya, Libya does get a mention, remember we were talking about that the other day, Libya does get a mention in the Bible, uh, parts of Libya belonging to uh, Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own language, in our own tongues, the mighty works of God. And when you look at a map, again, if I'd been more organised, I would have had a map up on the screen, but it was like this, the known world at the time. All these countries represented. 
All these uh, cultures and languages all represented. The first thing these Holy Spirit baptized believers do is tell all these people from other nations, um, the nations of the known world, about the mighty works of God, the powerful things God has done in their own languages. Pretty cool. Pretty cool. So, I'm going to go back to the Old Testament. <laughs> There's another Old Testament story that... Um, Many of you would have heard before. And it's the story of the Tower of Babel. This event, and it took place really early in, in human history. And you can read about this one in Genesis 11. You don't need to turn to it, because I'll just summarise it for now. In Genesis 11, we read about that at one time, all people had one language. And all these people, they, they, they migrated and they ended up in the city, in this place, I guess, and they go, we're going to build a city. Uh, and, and it's gonna and it's gonna have a tower in the city, and the tower its 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 top is gonna reach to heaven. And we read a story like that, and we go, oh, they ended up in a city, and, and it's like New York, and they're gonna build a skyscraper. Yeah. But that's not what it was. That's not what's going on. What they're doing is they're building a temple, a place. Uh, a place for God to dwell, a place for people to be near God, because they say, I'm going to build a tower and its top's going to reach to heaven. Heaven was God's, God's zone. We sang about that this morning. Let heaven come. I was singing, let your, let your space, Lord, let your, um, your realm overlap with our realm, with the, with the earthly, earthly spaces. And so the Babylonians, they weren't Babylonians, it was before that. The, the people in the city of Babel, they... They decide they're going to build this temple. And we might think to ourselves, well, what's wrong with that? They're just building a temple because they want to be near God. What's wrong with that? Surely that's a good thing. And then you read the story, and, it, and it's not. It's not a good thing. Because the people of the city, they're building a temple uh, to make a name for themselves. And that's what they say. We're going, to build this, we're going to build this city. We're going to build this temple to make a name for ourselves. <laughs> Essentially, what they're doing is they're trying to give themselves godlike status. And it was a self-serving project. They're trying to um, bring themselves glory. And, and I think that they're trying to use God. They're trying to contain God. They're trying to control God. And so God can't have, have this happening. And he intervenes. He intervenes, confusing their language and dispersing them from the city. And I think it's a blessing. It's a blessing in disguise. Having different languages is not a bad thing. He, he disperses them. And it's a blessing in disguise because if God hadn't intervened, this, this separation, that, uh, the separation of humanity from God was only going to increase. It was only going to get worse. As they constructed their self-serving temple to bring themselves glory, they were, they were destroying connection and relationship with God, their creator. Alright, so that's Babel. Now we're going back to Acts. I'm jumping back and forth. I'm time traveling. The Spirit of God falls on the 120 people to speak in different languages. To all the nations represented in Jerusalem. And, it's, and it points back to, the, to this curse of Babel. This blessing curse that I've just talked about. It's a reverse of that. It's a reverse of the curse. Because God's invitation, it's clearly not to a single race or to a single culture or a single nation, but it's to all people and all languages, all people invited to be reconciled to God. And since the beginning, 
Since the beginning, this is what God has been doing. It's so amazing. There's a beginning. Time traveling again. This guy, we're going right back now to Adam and Eve, the father and mother of humanity. They, like the people of uh, Babel, they desired God-like status. And they reached out and they just took it for themselves. When they, when they ate from the tree of uh, the knowledge of good and evil, that, that the Lord said, you should not eat from that. They separated. They chose to separate themselves from God. They became alienated from God by their own actions. And this division, this separation from God, so the separation from the source of life, the separation from the Creator, the separation from their purpose, it leads, led to uh, division. led to division internally within themselves. It led to division between people. You read in the next chapter in Genesis, in Genesis 3, I think 4, Adam and Eve's sons, Cain and Abel, they were both farmers. They should have been getting on pretty well. One was a, a farmer of the field, he worked the ground, and then Abel, he, he was a shepherd. He looked after the sheep. But the separation from God that had been initiated from Adam and Eve had worked its poison in Cain, who... Jealous of Abel goes, goes and kills him. Brother against brother. This division. At the Tower of Babel, people, people united to take God-like status. And the result was instead of unity, uh, was more division, more alienation from one another. And, uh, and I think it makes sense. If God is the creator of all things, if God is the one who sustains all things, holding all things together in his hands, then if, we, if we're separating ourselves from him, if we become separated from him, then that division is going to affect all things. And we see this in families, right? If there's a division between a parent and the child, then there can often be a division between the children as well. We can see it all sorts of ways. We can have all kinds of examples where this happens. And I think the truth is, Truth is, all relational divisions, all divisions in relationships happen, flow from our separation from God, our alienation from the one who holds all things together. If you think about it, if Adam and Eve hadn't separated themselves from God, then we would, would we have any separation in relationships now? Divisions within families, divisions within nations, between nations, sister against brother, father against mother, males against females, young people against old people, race against race. Did you know I was going in this direction? Yeah. Race against race. And it's like it's loud and clear at the moment, hey? Loud and clear. Racism. Prejudice, discrimination, antagonism directed against someone of a different race based on the belief that one's own race is, is better, is superior. It's this deep separation. A deep separation. And it ultimately finds its roots, I believe, in humanity's separation from God right back at the start. Right back at the start. So, church, what can be done? Good news. At Pentecost, the Holy Spirit fell on those believers and they spoke in different languages to all the people around them of the mighty works of God. 
if humanity's division separated, uh, if, humanity's, if humanity's division divisions result from separation from our Creator, then reconciliation between people, uh, between individuals and even between people groups, ultimately comes uh, from reconciliation with God, our Creator. And this is the Gospel message. The mighty work of God is that 2,000 years ago, Jesus, the Son of God, came to us. He became one of us, was born as a, as a human being, and He went to the, went to the cross and in a sense, he was, he was divided. He was divided for us so that we could be united with God. You know, when we take, when we take the bread of communion, we break it, representing the breaking of Jesus' body. In a sense, he was divided for us so that we could be united with God. He reversed the curse of Babel's sin. He reversed the curse of Cain's sin. And he reversed the curse of Adam and Eve's sin. Through Jesus and Jesus alone, we can be reconciled with God. We can draw near God without the fear of being destroyed. Uh, you know, the Israelites had this fear, but we can approach God without that fear. And, and this reconciliation from out of this reconciliation with God can come deep, genuine reconciliation with other people. In Ephesians 2, verse 13, actually this might be one that you want to look up, it's a chunky passage, so if you do have your Bibles then open it up, Ephesians 2, verse 13. Ephesians 2, 13 to 22, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace who has made both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the wall of other uh, sorry abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross therefore killing the hostility and he came and he preached peace to you who were far off, even us in New Zealand, and peace to those who were near. For through him we have both, for through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers, you are no longer aliens, no longer alienated, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles, the prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple of God, holy temple of the Lord. And the word for today is revival. Yeah. How did you end up here, James? <laughs> to be honest, I don't know. <laughs> but the word for today is revival. Revival is, is restoration to life. If somebody is almost dead on the road and you go and give them CPR and they come back to life, they're being revived. Revival is, uh, is restoration to life. It's new life. Consciousness. Coming back to consciousness. Vigor and strength. And in this, this moment, I reckon that God is breathing on His church. Yeah, come on. He's revealing stuff to us and He's breathing on us. His bride. The church is His bride. He's breathing new life into us. We can be restored to life 
as we are reconciled with our Creator, the source of life through Jesus, who is the way, the truth, and the life. And I know that many of you kind of think, I am reconciled with God, and, and you are. But I think as we, uh, as we understand, as we, as we deepen our understanding of what this reconciliation means, what the Lord has actually done to take us from being far off to being near, uh, to being um, sinners, and with broken hearts and, and everything that's going on to being saints, uh, from being like in the prodigal son story, from being the prodigal who's eating with the pigs in the pigsty to being seated in the heavenly places or enjoying the banquet in the Father's house. If we really, the more we get it, I mean, the more we get it, uh, this changes our life. This, this is transformational. All people can be reconciled to God, and from this flows reconcil reconciliation with others. Because through this, through this, we see other people as God sees us. We see, we see other people as God sees other people. We see with God's eyes. We see other people as... Um, his, his beloved children, hey? his brothers and sisters, the ones that uh, Jesus... Uh, died for. He died for us. He died for, for all. Reconciliation is at the heart of the gospel. And revival. In revival. <laughs> this is awesome. In revival. Uh, how am I going to say this? I've written it down and it's not the way I want to say it. Like... Like, churches experience times of revival, don't they? Yeah. And you can kind of look back through history and you see incredible moments of revival. One that I've just been thinking about is the, uh, the revival that happened in the early 1900s um, in Los Angeles in Azusa Street. And there was a, a man, I think his name was William Seymour. I don't, hope I've got my facts right. Somebody might tell me I'm being wrong if I am. I'm pretty sure his name was William Seymour and I'm pretty sure he was a black man. And he... And there was this Pentecostal revival, this revival that became the Pentecostal revival that has blessed people all over USA and all over the world. And it all started here uh, in, in Azusa Street. And in revival, what happens is people, people begin to feel their hearts burning for the Lord, their Savior, even, even Christians. We, we rediscover that, oh, Jesus, you love me and you saved me from death. Um, <laughs> it makes sense in my head. Um, amazing thing. This is, uh, you know, the prodigal son story. <laughs> Some of you did. Most of you did. We start off, we all start off being the prodigal son, distant from God, doing our own thing. And then, and then we, we come to our senses like the prodigal son. And the Lord runs to us and invites us and draws us into his house. And, we, and then we're invited into this banquet. And then there's something weird happens. And, and it's this progression where we go from being like a grateful son, just grateful for what he's done for us. And then we become like the older brother. And it all becomes about what we do. And, and looking at the others and going, they're not, they're not doing it right, they're doing it wrong. And then we forget that actually we were over there too. Yeah. And we're only here now because of what Jesus has done for us. And that's what happens in revival. Mm. And this is why I think this word is so key for us now. Yeah. As we get this, we ourselves are set free. Jesus 
broke down the dividing wall of hostility between us and God, between, between us and God and between me and you, uh, between you and others. Reconciliation that flows from reconciliation with God, the good news of Jesus. This, I reckon, is what the world needs. What the world needs. I reckon this is what Wellington needs. I reckon this is what Aotearoa needs. The good news of Jesus and what he has done is the solution our, our divided world needs. I think this is the gospel and, um, and I wrote down right now. <laughs> right now. <laughs> and <laughs> let it happen, right? Like, what happened at Pentecost? It wasn't all about fire, fire from, from heaven or, or, or wind. Like, that's part of it. But what was, what was the miracle? Is that these people went out and they spoke in different languages to all the nations, these people who were nearby and far off, and all of them were invited in uh, into that relationship with God. And that's what we need again today. This is why in a revival, loads of people come to faith because it's, it's, it's the people of the children of God understanding actually what they've got. Mm. Ah, goodness me. Mm. <laughs> I'm finished, Dad. <laughs>